Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is well with my soul because of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in Deuteronomy 26, and we'll be covering verses 1 through 11. And before we get started, I just want to mention the fact that um, we have the women's luncheon coming up. And if there are any ladies who uh, would find it difficult uh, to pay the, the amount for the lunch, we have scholarship money. So just come. You don't have to say anything to anyone. You don't have to talk to anyone. But if you are a woman and you'd like to be there to the luncheon, just come, and you're covered. And also, we have a sign-up sheet for the uh, adult dinner night out, which is this Monday. And so make sure you put your name on there so we can make proper uh, reservations as well. And also, uh, some of you might be interested in knowing that um, we have been looking into a portable baptistry. And uh, I have found one that I think I'm going to go with, and uh, it has a circulating heater in it. It's one of those you put up and, uh, you know, drain out with a hose and roll it up and you put it away. Because uh, there have been several people in our fellowship that want to be baptized. And uh, remember what Scripture says, believe and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now understand, baptism does not give you salvation. It's not even part of your salvation. It's a testimony of your salvation. When you're baptized, you're giving testimony to everyone around you and even the unseen realm, I belong to Jesus Christ. So we will be having, hopefully within a short time, a baptismal service, and the water will be heated. So I told Pastor Frank Jr., I said, you know, I always have you do the baptisms because we did it in the pool. And our pool water never gets above 70. No, just joking, but pretty cold. So I always have uh, Pastor Frank Jr. do the baptisms. But maybe when we have the heated water, I'll uh, be willing to do more. Okay, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the way he not only is the one who regenerated our heart and souls and give, gave us salvation, but he dwells within our heart, our cardiac, our inner man, and is able to direct our lives and to help us do those things that are pleasing in your sight. And so, Father, I pray that you would come and minister to each one of us this morning by your love and by your grace and by your mercy, that we might be spoken to directly by your Holy Spirit and guided in the direction you'd have each one of us go, that we might be your ministers in this world, a world that needs ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ more than any other time in history. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on us, empower us, and motivate us to do the work of ministry, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, one thing I want to mention, especially people that watch online, and you might think I'm joking, but a number of people have asked me if I'm wearing a yarmulke. And I'm not wearing a yarmulke, it's actually a bandage. It's from a procedure I had. I had a brain transplant, and uh, <laughs> no, it's just from a procedure I had. Okay. Deuteronomy 26. You know, and, and what this portion is all about is the fact that God keeps his promises us, to us. He keeps all of his promises to us. All of, all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, Scripture tells us. So because he keeps all of his promises to us, we should have a heart of thankfulness. When someone does something for you, your heart should be thankful towards them. God has done everything for us. 
And so our hearts should be overflowing with thankfulness to him. And I, I believe that's what this is all about when it talks about giving back to the Lord our first fruits. You know, you think of your life. What are the first fruits of your life? Give him the first fruit. Deuteronomy 26, starting with verse 1. And it shall be, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you're going to come into a land, and uh, you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first fruits of all the produce of the ground, which you, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abode. That would be like our place of worship. And you shall, go to one of, uh, to, you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hands and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and we went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid, hand, and, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, and he looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of, the, out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place and has given us the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set before the Lord your God the worship and, and worship before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levites and the stranger which is among you. And so God is telling them that they came from bondage into a land of freedom, into a land of promise. And because of that, they are to show their appreciation by giving back to him their first fruit. Well, we have to understand that everything that was written in the past was written for our learning, right? And so we need to take what was the literal circumstances that we're reading about here in Deuteronomy and apply it to our lives. How would it apply to us? Well, each one of us were in a land of bondage before we got saved. And we were in bondage to ourselves, in bondage to the world, and in bondage to others. What do other people think? What, are, what, what do other people want me to do? How should I act? How should I where in Jesus Christ, we've been set free. Because if Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. Not just a metaphor, you are free indeed. Because far too many people enter into this land of salvation that God freely gives to us without ever enjoying the fruit of the land. So how can we give back to the Lord our first fruits if we've never even enjoyed or experienced any of the fruits God has given us. Because people enter in and they say, well, I'm thankful I'm saved and that's it. Well, no, no, no. When you walk into the land of salvation that God has given you, you're supposed to work the land. 
And the one who's given us direction in working the land is the Lord. We're to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Then, lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's our commission. We're to be doing something, not just, well, I'm saved. That's what people do. They get saved and petrified. I'm saved. Come, Jesus. No, we're supposed to be working. We're supposed to be doing something for the, work of, for, the, for the kingdom of God. Because the fact is, if you've never experienced the fruit of the Spirit through your salvation, you're missing out on so much. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Keep your finger here in Numbers and turn to Galatians chapter 5. It's on page 327. Th- that's a joke. Everybody has different Bibles. Everybody gets Frank's jokes. They don't get any of mine. See? I'm gonna... Galatians 5, go to verse 22. <clears throat> Galatians 5, 22. Now understand this. What is fruit? You plant a tree, it'd be kind of like our salvation. And the tree grows. And as it goes on to maturity, it develops these beautiful blossoms that become fruit, whether they be apples or pears or peaches or whatever it is. But the fruit is the, is the beautiful outcome of this tree growing in the rich soil. And you and I are planted in the rich soil of Jesus Christ. And we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. So the essence of the fruit is already within us. And then as we are watered by the by the talks about the word being the water of the word. And as we're watered by the word and prayer and worship, you know, we grow and then these fruits should be manifest. And what's the purpose of fruit? If you have a lot of fruit on a tree and no one picks it and eats it, what does it do? It rots. Or the birds come and eat it. The purpose of the fruit is for people to come and pick it. And so for you and I to be fruitful in the Lord, we not only bear this fruit, but it should be to give to others to minister to others. So in Galatians chapter 2, or chapter 5, and starting with verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. These other, th- other things we're going to read are the manifestations of love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, comma. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. The flesh is so easily entangled in this world. And so many believers are pulled down by the flesh. What about this? Just trusting Jesus. God's in charge. And if we're following him, it makes no difference what all the things are that are going on in our lives. You know, here's the thing that we have a tendency to think. No one knows what I'm going through. And the person sitting next to you is thinking, no one knows what I'm going through. And the person sitting next to them is thinking, no one knows what I'm going through. And you know what the reality is? A lot of us don't know the things you're going through. Just like you don't know all the things I'm going through. But we're all going through things. That's where trust comes in. I'm not walking with the Lord because all of a sudden he's made me prosperous and and healthy and wealthy. You know, that whole stupid doctrine that is completely out of line with Scripture. But it's not because of that. 
I am walking with the Lord because he's given me the fruit of his spirit, and the fruit of his spirit is to share with others, to share with the world around me. Because the one thing that I know for absolute certainty is I'm going to heaven because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And how absolutely selfish would I be if I was unwilling to share that same gift with everyone around me, especially those I love. There's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. So don't be content thinking you have family members and friends that are going to heaven just because they're nice people. No one's nice enough. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us the righteousness of man is nothing but filthy rags. Okay, now some say, and I've heard people say this, it's hard to be Christ's witness in a world, the world we live in, because it's so dark. Well, I think of the apostles, and I think of the first century Christians, and I thought, they lived in a, in a, they lived in a pretty dark world, didn't they? Didn't we read something about... Paul being shipwrecked, stoned, beaten with rods, imprisoned, chained to a Roman soldier, and he never once mentioned the politics of the day. Never once. He was a witness for Christ. And even, even some of, the, of, of uh, the emperor's court became saved because of him. When someone was chained to Paul, he said, ah, you can't get away now. And half the time, he led those people to Christ. And so we have to understand that being a believer doesn't mean that somehow we're released from the darkness of this world. We're in this world, but we're to not be like this world. We're to be the light of the world. You know, and, um, but my point is that it is so easy for us to think that the early uh, apostles, well, they had everything great. They just went along, and they had it tough, way more difficult than than many. But here's the thing, and I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I think that we live in even a darker world. And I'll tell you why. When we think of darkness, like what the apostles and first century Christians went through, we're thinking of the physical torture and physical pain they went through, which would have been awful, which would have taken more faith than you and I can imagine. But the fact is, more people are being pulled away by complacency and by humanistic doctrines and standards than they ever were by persecution. Why would Satan change his methods? You know, some people say, oh, wait till the real persecution comes. Well, there's going to be a lot of wrath after the rapture of the church, but I don't know why Satan would want to bring a lot of persecution on the world today when his job is already being done easily by all of his disciples. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes complacency can come because everything's so easy, everything's so good. And all he's happy about is to draw people away from Christ. And we live in a world today, we live in a country that I never would have believed when I was a young boy. Now, I'm 76 years old, and so it might be hard for some of you to understand this. There's a few of us that would understand what I'm talking about. But when I got in an elevator <clears throat> in a store or wherever it was, and there was a woman in the elevator. A man would take off his hat. And actually, it had elevator operators back then, too. And if you were walking up to a door, a man would open a door for a woman. It was a sign of respect. It wasn't a sign of making a woman feel like she was inferior. It was a sign of respect. And so many things, like, I never, ever, 
as a child growing up heard the F word. And if a girl said the F word, it was like, now it's nothing. So the world is slipping down into the complacency of all the sins of this world, and people don't even see it. You know, oftentimes I find that we have to guard ourselves not to act like the world. You know, what does what what the world consider a good time? Hey, let's get together and watch some racy movie and have a few drinks. And Christians say, hey, let's get together and watch a racy movie and have some drinks. You follow the point I'm making? The Bible says we're to be different. The Bible says that we are to be, this is from Scripture, a peculiar people. Do you know what that means? We're so different from the rest of the world that they think we're odd. Well, we are odd. We should be anyway because of the love of God in Christ Jesus. So I, I feel that Satan, of course, is, is having his way. He's not going to change his tactics, I don't think, right now. Why would he? I mean, his goal is being, is being effective. You know, he probably tried this, try, probably, probably tried that, but then he said, oh, this complacency, oh, this uh, generality of love for everyone and, and acceptance of everything, man, that's really worked for him. In Isaiah 5.20, it says, Woe! Now, you have to understand, look it up in your Bible. You have a Hebrew dictionary. The word woe there, um, usually it's, all, it's in capital, uh, W. Woe doesn't mean like, wow. It means, whoa! I'm shocked. I'm surprised. I can't believe this. That's what the word means. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Well, it's bad enough the world does that. Brothers and sisters, we have to be a light. We have to be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can't allow ourselves to do this. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm waiting for you to go to it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's interesting, when you get there to first, 2 Timothy, did I say 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's interesting when you get to that, because when it talks about the perilous times in the last days, it doesn't say, oh, there's going to be perilous times in the last days, you're going to be arrested for your faith, you're going to be thrown in prison, you're going to be put in concentration camps, you're going to have people coming and attacking your house. It doesn't say any of that. Listen to what it says. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Look what it says. For men will be lovers of themselves, sound familiar, lovers of money, sound familiar, boastful, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. So there's some people that are going to pretend to have a form of godliness. How many people have you talked to that you're around them and they're telling you all the things going on in their life and they say, I'm a Christian too. You know, you tell them you're a believer, I'm a Christian too. It's like uh, 
ah, you're missing something there. Because the Bible is very clear. You know, when it tells us there are sins that keep you out of heaven, fornication, drunkenness, homosexuality, you know, greediness, and, and brutality, those are sins. You can't be freely practicing them and feel like, man, I, I'm just right in the presence of God. Now, understand, I'm not saying that a believer can't fall. A believer can fall sometimes and sometimes fall hard. But here's the difference. When we fall, we get back up. That's what Scripture tells us. We get back up. And you don't have to go back to the beginning. You get back up right where you fell, and you say, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Forgive me for what I've done. And you just move on with the Lord. But people who fall to sin, and you say, well, yeah. And they just have no repentant heart. There's a problem there. There's a real problem there. Because we have to understand all of us are walking in the weakness of the flesh. Every one of us. And every one of us, if I asked, I'm not going to, so calm down, be careful. If I asked for everyone to stand up that has a stronghold of sin in their life that they're fighting constantly, everyone would stand up except the liars. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? We'd all stand up that we have some stronghold in our life. But here's the difference. I know it's a problem. The area I have a problem with the areas I have, a, I know they are. I know it's wrong. I know it's not something I can just make excuses for. I have to repent. How many times should I repent? As often as I need to. Confess and repent, every one of you. And so we have to understand that's what God tells us. It's unbelievable. And um, if you take a stand on the principles of God... In today's world, you're going to be accused of some kind of hatred, right? If you take a stand in the principles of God, in today's world, you're going to be considered or, or accused of some kind of hatred. It wasn't that way when I was a kid. The principles of God were considered right. I'm not saying that the whole nation was Christian. Probably they, they weren't. In fact, we might even have more Christians today. But it, the morality of the world was different. Now, if you stand on the principles of God, okay, such as fornication is sin, and someone who continues to practice that. Now, let me share this with you, too. When it talks about fornicators and homosexual offenders and so forth, shall not enter the kingdom of God, that is someone who is practicing it in a continuous tense. In the Greek, it's the present continuous tense. So in other words, when you talk about a fornicator, it's not talking about, oh, I fell to fornication, now I'm going to hell, I have no choice. No, no, no. It's talking about someone who continues to practice it, continues to make excuses for it, continues to practice it. That's what's being talked about here for all these sins. But if you say today that fornicators, homosexuals, and drunkards... Um, will not enter the kingdom of heaven, which, by the way, is what the Bible says, you're going to be accused of being a bigot. Because we have to understand that that is the worst thing you can do. Do you mean to tell me that I can't marry someone of the same sex that is not recognized before God? I love you, and I'll do anything I can to help you and to encourage you in the Lord. But no, it's, it's not accepted by God. It's, it's sin. 
It's wrong. Do you mean, you know, my drunkenness is okay? Is this, I mean, is it a sin? Yeah, it's a sin. But you need to repent of it. Do you think my gossip is sin? Yes, you need to repent of it. So whatever sin you want to lie out there, lay out there that you and I are dealing with, we have to repent of it. Confess and repent, and we need to move on with Jesus Christ. Because his mercies are new every morning. You know why scripture says that? Because every morning you need it. <laughs> you don't ever wake up. I've never woken up one morning and say, well, you know, Father, you can hang on to some of your mercies. I've just lived a wonderful day. You know, every morning I wake up and say, please, Jesus, help me to live for you. Forgive me all of my sin and transgression. But yet today, if you say homosexuality, if you say fornication, if you say drunkenness, if you say same-sex marriage, or if you don't agree with someone's sexual orientation, even though their DNA says they're one thing or another, you know, you're a bigot, you're no good, you're bad. Good is taken for evil, and evil is taken for good, just like the scriptures tell us. And, um, but think about this. Those people who accuse us of being bigots Aren't they being bigots? Because they're, they're calling you a bigot because you don't agree with their standards. And if you don't agree with their standards, you're a bigot, and they're calling you a bigot because you don't agree with their standards. goes both ways. But I'd rather be a bigot for the Lord <laughs> and stand on his principles and his standards. Because one of the things we have to understand is like we have so much going on today between different races and, and this and that and, and different people groups and, and I, I, I shouldn't use the word race because we're all one race. Do you know that? In the, in the pure scientific sense of it, we are one race. We are, we are humans, homo sapiens. We're one race. There are different people groups, nationalities and people groups. And anyone who makes a distinction between them is in mortal sin, is in serious sin. Um, the Jews, even in what we just read here, they incorporated even those that were living with them that weren't Jews. And one of the things that's interesting, they call themselves Syrians in this, and I'll get to that in a moment. And of course, the Jews hated the Syrians, but they called themselves Syrians. So we have to understand, we have to have a loving attitude towards everyone. Everyone, according to the word of God, is equal. And therefore, if we try to set up distinctions about equality, we're actually setting up our own line of bigotry. You follow what I'm saying? You don't, I mean, what if I went around and said, you know, short people are just as good as tall people? You'd be looking at me like, what? Some of you might be saying, well, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you'd be looking at me like, what? What are you talking about? Because that's something... It's a distinction. I mean, everybody I walk by, it's a distinction. I mean, that's why I like little kids. How you doing, bud? You know? But the reality is, if we make distinctions, and we make a distinction about making distinctions, we're bigots. We as believers have to come to a place where all people groups are the same. All sexes are the same. Because according to the word of God, they are. And if you have an attitude towards anyone because of their sex or because of their, of their nationality or their, or their people groups that they come from, you are in sin. As plain as can be. <clears throat> Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And I'm going to read verses 28 through 29. Galatians chapter 3. Go to verse 28. 
Boy, you'd go to that church, you have to bring your Bible. Galatians chapter 3, go to verse 28. But we do have Bibles underneath the seats because I realize sometimes people forget their Bibles. I don't forget mine because it sits up here in the pulpit all the time. Galatians 3, 28. There, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Listen, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're joint heirs with the Jews. We're joint heirs with Jesus because we're in Christ. And it makes no difference who you are. You are in Christ. And this is why the Lord is due all that we have, all the fruit of our, of our lives. But we have to realize that Whatever it is God has given us, we're to give him back the first fruit of it. Whatever it is. And it's not a matter, I'm not up here saying, you know, we need to bring our offerings up. God has been faithful to us. I'm not worried about that. The first fruit of your life, finances, is the least part of it. The first fruit of your life is your love and devotion and worship of Almighty God and your service to others. Your financial tithe is, is just a part of it, just a small part of it. And um, one of the things that we have to notice, too, is um, it tells us to bring the first fruit and put it in a basket, not our leftovers. So often we want to give the Lord the leftovers of our time, the leftovers of our finances. We want to give him the leftovers of everything. It tells us here we're to give him the first fruit. And um, you know, and so often when we talk about tithing, people get all, start talking about tithing, I hold my wallet close. Money is the least part of it. That's the least thing I'm concerned about with my fellowship that God has called me to pastor and to minister to, and Pastor Frank's fellowship, he's called him to pastor and minister to. My greatest desire for you to tithe is to others, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to stand on the word of God, to be an example, to be a witness everywhere you go, that's the tithe I'm most concerned about. You know, we present our offerings to the church as the Lord has prospered us to keep the church going because one of the, the, the here's the purpose of the church, and, and so many people miss this. Well, the purpose of the church is to have 537,000 different group meetings every week and to have this and that and this and that. And this. Here's the purpose of the church, to equip you guys to equip the saints for work of ministry. My job up here isn't to be some kind of priest, say, oh, holy, holy, I forgive your sins. My responsibility as a pastor and Pastor Frank's responsibility as a pastor is to give you guys the word of God. Here it is. Apply it to your lives. We don't watch over your shoulder. You know why? We're not the Holy Spirit. We're just feeding you the truth. Do something with it. Give the Lord your first fruit. And, uh, you know, tithing is a blessing. It's more blessed to give than receive. You know that old metaphor. It's true. And I think one of the hardest places for you and I, listen to this, I think one of the hardest places for you and I to tithe is in our families. 
If we talk to our spouse, the way we talk to our spouse, if we talk to our coworkers that way, sometimes we'd be in trouble. We'd be considered pretty horrible people. The way we talk to our children, if we talk to our coworkers that way, or maybe the children talk to the parents, they talk to their friends that way, you'd be considered awful. You know, so often we're in the house and you know, let, let our hair down, so to speak. I don't have any, but, you know, it's like, then we go out in public, ah, bless the Lord, you know. It's like the couple driving to church on a Sunday morning. Oh, I can't believe we got here late. Yeah, you never even had breakfast ready. Look at the kids. And they walk in the door, praise God. Hallelujah. So good to be here in the house of the Lord. The first ministry we have of our tithe is to the family, to our family, to love them, to give them what they need to grow in the Lord, to encourage them in all of his ways. And you know, um, we should never use anything as an excuse to indulge. But the reality is, I believe it's important for us to understand our limitations too. Because some people are guilt into doing things that they either aren't capable of or they don't have the energy to do, to do at that moment. And then if they do it, they do it how? Reluctantly. Begrudgingly. So we have to know our limitations. There's nothing wrong if, if someone calls you and says, hey brother, I, I need, need to talk to you. Can you come right now? Just say, I really can't. I'll meet with you tomorrow, but I really can't. I'm right in the middle of family devotions, or I'm really feeling down tonight. I need to spend time in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. Or if someone comes and says, hey, brother, hey, sister, I need some financial help. And you're thinking, I really can't. I'm really strapped this month. It's okay to say that. God doesn't expect us. You understand what I'm saying? We need to take care of our family. But then what God has given us over, we need to be willing. And I, I probably shared this with you before. And if I have, um, I'm, I was going to say forgive me, but I share so many things over and over again, I won't say that. Um, but we had a family in the church when Vi and I were new Christians. And they had saved up money for a trip. I think it was to Disneyland, but I'm not sure, to take their family. And another couple in the church who lived in a trailer park, we had a freak tornado, and it ripped their roof off. And they had no insurance for that because it was an act of nature, and it was a you know, trailer. And so the couple who saved up their money for vacation used it to have the trailer fixed for that other couple, and they didn't go on their vacation. That's beautiful. That's sacrificial giving, but it wasn't taken away from their need. You know what I'm saying? They didn't take food off their own family's table. But what they had for their own pleasure, they were willing to give for another family's need. That's the kind of love God wants each one of us to have towards one another. Now, it's not a mere metaphor. I shared with you, I was going to explain this. It's not a mere metaphor when it says, um, my father was a Syrian. The Jews hated the Syrians. And they still do. So why does it say that? Well, here's, here's why. It's more, it's more than a metaphor. Abraham and Sarah were Syrians. Jacob spent 28 years in Syria with his uncle Laban. His wife and children were Syrians. 
Therefore, part of their line was Syrian. And I think that's important. Because so often in churches, we have a tendency to make a distinction between peoples and people's groups. You know, with these... No, no, no. We're all the Lord's. We all belong to Jesus. And I think that that portion was put in there on purpose to throw people. What, what do you mean Assyrians? Jews didn't like Syrians. Well, that's where they came from. And here's the point for you and I. It's going to be a shock, so hang on to this. Before we got saved, we were sinners condemned to eternal fire. And now we're not. You mean believers were once sinners? Yeah, in that general sense, and we still sin. In the literal sense, need forgiveness constantly. But sometimes it's good to know where you came from, to recognize where you came from, to know where God has brought you. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to be a believer. You know, Vi and I were talking the other night, and I know it's hard to believe this about, you know, the perfect couple who married over 50 years and this and that. But Vi and I were talking the other day and saying, can you imagine if we would have never gotten saved, if we would have never came to the Lord? Because Vi and I both have very strong personalities. And believe it or not, in, in, in before we were saved, especially in many ways different. But we came to Jesus Christ. and He's the one who made us one. We are one in the Lord. We're one in the Spirit, Scripture says. And he brought us together in him. And we've lived a life that has been just joy. It's just been wonderful. That's what God expects of every one of us. We come from all different backgrounds. Maybe we're different in so many, so many ways. But we should never look at anyone as being any different than us. We should all be one in Christ for the purpose of serving him. And so what we need to do is uh, the Lord brought us out of bondage into his wonderful freedom. Therefore, he does not deserve part of our life. He deserves all, all of our life. We don't worship him in part. We worship him fully. He wants us to worship him with all of our fiber of our being. You know, when we get to heaven, did you ever think about this? When we get to heaven, the trinkets of this world will mean nothing. Go to Revelation and read what's happening in heaven. It'll blow your mind. In fact, Vi and I read chapter 5 and 6. We've been doing it every night for, for a while now. And it's just what's going on in heaven. You know what's going on in heaven? Tell me. What's going on in heaven? Worship. There's no buying. There's no selling. There's no arguing. There's no difficulties. There's no... Heaven is just total worship. They never cease from worshiping the Lord, the four living creatures, day and night. Wow. That's what heaven's going to be like. We're not going to... We're, all the trinkets... Do you, you ever think about how the trinkets of this world are meaningless? Consider this. You know, my family and I, we go on a beach vacation every year. We've been doing it since Pastor Frank Jr. was in junior high school. And when our kids were small, now my grandkids, and now my grandkids are getting big, still have some small enough... We go down, we make sandcastles. We go into the beach shop and we buy the sandcastle kits. You know, it's got the castles and it's got the walls and this and that. Now, can you imagine if we went and we built the sandcastle, which would be cool, 
It's fun to do with the kids. But then we said, hey, let's get all of our money and all of our jewelry and all of our precious stones. Let's buy some silver and gold and we'll put it in the sand castle to make it really pretty. Here's the thing. The tide's coming in. And the sand castle means nothing. It's gone. Well, brothers and sisters, the tide's coming in in this world. And all of the trinkets of this world mean nothing. But what you have invested in Jesus Christ is sure and sound, never to be lost. And one day, we're going to be with the Lord. And I think one day very soon. And this is my conclusion. What is there of ours that God doesn't deserve? Nothing. Not a thing. He deserves our spouse. He deserves our children. He deserves our parents, our family. He deserves our job. He deserves our money. He deserves everything. Because he alone is worthy. And one day, everything... You know that song we sing, the things of this world grow strangely dim? One day they'll be gone, not just growing dim. And the only thing that matters is your walk with the Lord. So, what's the conclusion of a, a teaching like this that we read about, about bringing to the Lord our first fruits, serving Him, coming into the land? Here it is. Brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, and according to His word, I admonish you to be soul winners. Share your faith. Darkness is coming when no man will be able to share. Share your faith. Well, I don't want to make them feel bad about me. Oh, good, you want them to go to hell. Oh, that's a good friend. It's, good. it's a good relative. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. You know, like someone comes up to you and says, hey, look at the new watch I got. Speaking of watches, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, the Lord will provide opportunity for you to share, but be willing to share. Share your faith. Don't hold back because God's word is 100% true and many of us have people that are already there before us. But when we all get to heaven, what a wondrous day it'll be. What a glorious day. Father, how we thank you for your word. And I pray, Heavenly Father, if there are any here today that have never committed their life to you, they've never been born again, this would be the day of their salvation. And you would just give them the willingness to talk to myself or to Pastor Frank Jr. or, or someone else who's a strong believer that they might be encouraged. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fill us to overflowing, encourage us to be your witnesses, and to walk the walk, to live the faith, to live the life. And I pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.